from Kurtco Media. We wanted people to be able to watch this who have no experience in cars whatsoever and come out of it going, I really enjoyed that. I kind of get it now why people are into cars, why they're infatuated with classic cars and the relationships that are formed from it. That was the voice of John Householder, our guest today on Cars That Matter. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross with another episode of Cars That Matter. Welcome, and welcome to my guest, John Householder. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited because I don't usually get a chance to talk to an Emmy Award-winning producer with an arm-long portfolio of films to his credit. I have to tell you, I've immersed myself and spent quite a few hours watching your work after my initial introduction, and just fascinating. So we're going to talk about your films and really the whole world of your creation sphere. It seems to me, John, that everything you've touched with your film productions are about competition, whether it's motorsport or baseball or football or even a jacket and a tie Concorde de Elegance event. It's all about competition. First, John, I want to talk about Best in Class, your documentary about the first ever Audrey Newport Concorde and Motor Week. It's headed by our friend Donald Osborne, who was recently a guest on this program. Donald's the CEO of Audrain, an automotive museum in Newport, Rhode Island, whose 2019 Concours d'Elegance was not only their debut in the Concours arena, but the subject of your great film. I don't know that there is a film made prior to yours that took people sort of behind the scenes of what a car show is really all about. Yeah, I grew up into cars, and I grew up into racing, and people would always kind of say, I don't understand why you're into that. Why are you into that? And I'd always be like, well, you don't get it. It's really cool. I used to go to car shows with my grandpa a lot and I'd go to races with my brother and my dad. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of my films go that route is just almost to kind of explain to people, this is why this matters. This is why people care. There's human interest in this. There is actual heart to this that sometimes people just don't understand. So when we were doing Best in Class, Torque Media Group had brought me in to direct this. And that's headed by Jason Jacobson and then Donald Osborne over at Audrain and all those guys, Nick Schwartz, had this idea like, we're going to make this documentary. So they came after you. I had a prior relationship with Jason Jacobson, who is one of the heads at Torque Media Group. And then I also have a good relationship with Justin Bell and Tommy Kendall, who are former sports car racers, who also work for that company. I had done a couple projects with them. Jason and I actually met at NASCAR because he used to work there back in the day. This industry is so small, yet so big. At a certain point, it kind of becomes, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, why don't you work on this? with me. So they brought me in to direct it. They also brought in my friend, Brett Ramker, who is the producer on it, who's phenomenal. I've done a lot of work with him. And then my other buddy, Jeff Schaefer, who I do pretty much all my documentaries with. He's just a mastermind, in my opinion. We lay things out really well together. We're almost kind of like the same person, but there's two of us. So it's perfect. So he came in, he was the assistant director on this. And that's a lot of the times vice versa on a lot of our projects. We're co-directors or something like that. But on this particular project I was directing, he was assistant directing. We all kind of got together and we're just like, okay, what is our goal? in this. What is the one goal we want out of this whole thing? We wanted to explain this story about cars. And it's important to emphasize the Concorde, the making of it, the art of the car, all that stuff. But we wanted people to be able to watch this who have no experience in cars whatsoever and come out of it going, I really enjoyed that. I kind of get it now 
why people are into cars, why they're infatuated with classic cars and the relationships that are formed from it. Because personally, we talked before the whole thing in pre-pro, what's something you've gotten out of cars? And it's like, well, I bonded with my brother. For me, it was, I really bonded with my dad through cars. My relationship, my dad is so great. And a lot of it is because of the automobile in just different ways. We didn't plan on it to be like that, but it just kind of happened. We really wanted to emphasize that. I didn't want to just tell like a recap video because you can go that route, but we didn't want to do that. And I noticed Audrain was doing different things too. That kind of made me feel like, oh, they're kind of into this as well, especially with a 30 under 30. And you had all these kids that were working on cars either by themselves or with their dad or with other people. You don't just restore cars on your own. You always need other people. So there are relationships that happen. It takes a village to restore a car. And so many people just look at people who are car enthusiasts and look at it like a book and they never open it up. And that's one thing that has always just driven me nuts. Just internally when I'm talking to people, are like, I don't get it. I'm not a car guy. And I think Don Osborne had a great line. I loved what he said about cars. Everyone's a car person, whether they think they are or not. Cars affect us all. Everyone's been in a car probably at some point in their life. Even if they don't have a car, they know people who've had cars. Donald's absolutely right. I spent much of 2018 on the concourse circuit from about June to November. I had a car that traveled to a number of events and in fact had the honor of being presented best in show from Donald Osborne at the 2018 Carmel Concourse on the avenue. So it was a great pleasure to see him there to get that big trophy for best in show. And I think if someone has never competed in a Concours, they probably don't really understand or get a sense of the complexities and the butterflies oh, yeah. and all of the things that go into actually bringing a car and parking it on the lawn or whatnot, talking with the judges and of course all the hundreds of hours spent to get it to that point. And I think what was so exciting about your film is that we got to see it from the vantage point of so many different types of people with so many different types of cars. What I marveled at was that you really broke down all the class distinctions so that someone with a seven-figure automobile was regarded in much the same light as some young person who had, as you mentioned, under $30,000 to spend restoring a car that meant so much to them. I don't want to give away the story because certainly it's a film worth watching, but there were some surprises there. That's what made the whole thing so intriguing to me. A lot of moving parts, though. I mean, you even took time getting into how the trophy was designed and made and cast and every facet of the event was covered. How long did it take you to make the film? We filmed everything you saw in the film other than the archive footage was filmed within four days. We just knocked it all out in four days. We went down to Newport. There was a pretty big crew of us and we just kind of stayed in like an Airbnb and we were just working the whole time. I would get up every day at probably four in the morning. I'd work until probably like one in the morning, sleep for three hours, get up. We were just going, but we wanted to cover every aspect of the event. It was really cool in the sense that it was an inaugural concours because you show how much work goes into it. And especially in the first year, you want to make it right. So you're seeing a lot of the nerves kick in. It's not like people are just, oh, we've done it before. It'll be fine. It's the first one. So everyone's kind of nervous and they're on edge about it. It really matters to them. I wanted to build up why this event was important. I wanted to even get into Newport. So we dove into the history of that because there's a lot of history in that involved with cars. There sure is. What a great setting. Aside from even the film, that event itself, if COVID didn't happen, I was just going to go and just check it out as a spectator. It's an awesome event. Back to the film, though, I wanted to build a drama of the event because there are relationships to it, too. But people pour a lot of energy 
into restoring these cars. And even the kids who paid under $30,000 or even less. Probably especially those kids because they had to do so much of the work themselves. They got these cars from essentially like a junkyard or like someone who just had the car rotting in their backyard and it doesn't even have an engine. They just love cars and they wanted to restore it. So they're putting themselves out there in a sense, like this is what I did. What do you guys think? So it is very nerve wracking. And even though you make it to a Concours like that, you still want to get the ribbon and you still want to do well. I think Jay points that out in there. He's on the Torque show during the event and they were broadcasting it. And someone said, well, it's not just about the trophy. And he's like, well, it's not, but it is. You're there and you want your name called. You're there and it's for other reasons. But at the same time, it is a competition. No question about it. As an Emmy winner yourself, you certainly understand competition. Yeah. I mean, I don't do my work for Emmys and stuff, but there's a competitiveness in you too. It does help drive a little bit. We saw that with one of the young guys who was the subject of your film. I'm not going to spoil anything for the listeners, but he's left there standing sort of over and over again. Man, that was super cool, but it sucks. It was super cool though. And you have any words of advice for a guy like that? Or how did that make you feel? My heart sunk for him. I was actually standing there while it happened. I actually thought he was going to win personally, just because just the way it was going. I, I was there when the judges were there and it seemed like it went really well. I thought he might place, but my heart sinks for him in a lot of ways. We were with these characters a lot and I even did a lot of pre-pro with them before we went out. It wasn't like we just showed up and I started meeting them then. I talked to the characters usually that I'm following quite a bit in advance and we have a lot of long conversations about their story. What do I know going into this that I can kind of talk about? Did you pick the characters in the cars or did you get some tips? So actually, Audrain helped us a lot. I reached out with my producer, Brett, and we wanted to find people who had interesting stories. We either wanted people who had really cool cars or people who had very interesting stories because I kind of want to intertwine all of that. And Donald actually and Audrain helped a lot with finding those characters. Especially the kid with the Corvair. Boy, what a story that was. I love his line, who would have thought a Corvair to Concord. He's got that father-son thing. That's really cool. And the one thing I like about this one a lot is I got to know these characters a lot and I still actually stay in touch with a lot of them still so it's pretty cool to have this experience with them that's the one thing I like about doing documentaries is it's real I have nothing against narratives I've done narratives in the past but it's cool with these because this is your life you're experiencing it with them in a weird way you definitely touch on something that is I think key to the success of your films John if I can be so presumptuous as to sort of encapsulate it this way a fiction writer has all the latitude in the world to invent things to create create a narrative, tell a story that really knows no bounds. You can go as far and wide as you want. But a nonfiction writer, or in this case, a documentary filmmaker, that author, that filmmaker has to work harder because you're working with facts and you're working with maybe in some cases the residual scraps of history. And that's what really has drawn me into your films. So with that, let's talk about motorsport, man, because that is where my adrenaline really started getting pumping, man. Days of Thunder, of course, was the predictably a Simpson, Bruckheimer cruise success. I mean, how could it not be? Those guys are all showmen and they do what they do and it's all great and it's all fiction and it's all three parts truth and seven parts smoke. But tell us about your movie, a movie about a movie, The Golden Hour. I love that one. We're turning that right now into a full documentary for Fox that's going to air during Speed Weeks for the 500 now. But we made a short film initially. It was about a half hour. We made 
made it for there's a show called race hub on fox sports that covers nascar and they wanted to do that we ended up getting so much great content on that i was reaching out to a lot of people just kind of swinging for the fences and then everyone kept saying yes for interviews and then they saw the final product and i've got twice as much so we're in the process of turning that into a full film but i love that movie because i loved that film as a kid it was one of the things that kind of got me into racing it came out when i was born but I got into that film because it was getting re-aired on TV all the time. That was a semi-introduction to NASCAR for me, so I was gung-ho about it. But I made this with Jeff Schaefer, the guy I made Best in Class with. When we were going into it, we are always trying to find what's something that people can connect with. And so we were doing all the interviews. We're interviewing like Jerry Bruckheimer, Hans Zimmer, all these people. And they keep bringing up Tony Scott. So I started looking into Tony's story. He tragically passed away maybe like 10 years ago. And he was a visionary behind the whole thing to bring Days of Thunder to what Days of Thunder ended up becoming. That's right. And so we still told the fun stories of Days of Thunder and how they made it, but we wanted to weave in a human story in there too. And so we interviewed his wife. His wife actually lives in North Carolina like half the time because she from here initially. So it worked out great. So for a lot of these interviews during COVID, we were doing Zoom interviews and then I'd have a camera crew that we would hire that would go and I'd be on having a discussion like this, but they'd be looking into the camera. I'd be like, okay, look into the camera when you respond. And we would do it that way. But this one was great because I could actually go and I had a mask on because we weren't traveling at the time. And it worked because we were able to tie in this heartfelt Tony tribute into the film because it was really his vision. We even titled it The Golden Hour because that was something everyone talked about. Like Tony loved Golden Hour shots. Explain to our listeners what a Golden Hour is. If you're not a photographer or a filmmaker. Golden Hour is the best for when it comes to filming. It happens twice a day. It's when the sun's rising, sun's setting. And it just creates this really nice light. Film or photography looks amazing. It envelops whatever there is, a person a car, a landscape. It just makes it glow. It just creates this like magical setting. It's when the unicorns come out and the knight in shining armor rides over the top of the hill. And Tony also did Top Gun too. And he starts the movie like that also. Back to kind of what we were talking about. I wanted to put Tony's touch into the film, but then tell the actual story of how it was made from all these different moving parts. And the thing too is everyone talked about how it was just chaos making it because this is before you have the technology you have now where it's like, oh, well, we need to film a race. We'll just go to the track. Well, it's empty. We'll put fans in there and it'll look pretty real. In 1989, when they were filming it, you couldn't do that. So they actually had to be there when crowds were there and it was packed. And I'm still blown away by that because if you watch a lot of films from the 80s, that was a really, from a cinematic standpoint, I thought it was just a next level film. Even to this day, that opening sequence, that opening sequence inspired me a lot. And Tony's opening sequences have inspired me in a lot of my other work. If you see some of the NASCAR videos I do, even before this film, I would do those sunrise shots and all that because that film to me, just it's this calm before the storm that he created. That's so cool. Even in Best in Class, I did a little bit of that before I knew I was doing this because a little bit of Tony Scott rubbed off on me when I was a kid. I love Top Gun, Days of Thunder, all those films, Crimson Tide, all those types of movies that have these golden hour shots. And it creates that magical thing. I wanted to make sure that that was portrayed in the documentary a little bit. And we have that even in the full one as well. That film sounded crazy. They had a very limited time to make it. And you just hear from all these different people. We were running out of time. We had to push the deadline. It was mind blowing. And it was cool too, even how people got involved in it. Hans Zimmer was involved in Days of Thunder which a lot of people didn't know. I knew it just because I was a fan of the film. 
but I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan. And hearing how he got involved in it, it was cool to interview him and hear how he went down there and he was just supposed to visit. But then Jerry and Tony convinced him to be a part of the film. And Tom was like, you got to be in this. Next thing you know. The subject sure has a way of drawing you in. Another one of your films drew me in considerably unrivaled Aaron Hart versus Gordon. And boy, that was quite a story. And you talk about exploring all these kind of class and generational contrasts. I mean, it was a remarkable film. Beautifully done. I love that film personally for a lot of reasons. And I think the main reason was that was like my whole childhood. Like I said, I was a NASCAR fan, but I was a NASCAR fan because Jeff Gordon was a NASCAR. The Rainbow Warriors, all that stuff. I was into that. I didn't like Dale Earnhardt. I was in elementary school and him and Gordon would kind of clash. So there was that tension there. And I just, oh, it was so nostalgic to do that. I was actually at the Daytona 500 where Earnhardt passed. Oh, were you really? Yeah, I was in fifth grade. We actually left like five laps before because Gordon had crashed and I was in a really bad mood. <laughs> My NASCAR was huge back then. So, I mean, it was, you lived and died by your driver and Gordon crashed. We were mad. So we left and then we got to the hotel and found out he had passed away. There was quite a bit of us that worked on that film, but that ending scene, it was really cool. Like I don't usually run cameras a lot, but I ran the camera at the end for Gordon at the statue. So that was pretty cool. That was something me and the executive producer had come up with the last minute. That was the last thing we shot was that scene. And Jeff was really into that. I mean, we talked to his PR guy and he's like, yeah, Jeff really wants to do this. He's a pretty nice guy. I had a chance to interview him recently and a, really a gentleman. Oh, classy guy. It's surreal. Honestly, he was my Michael Jordan as a kid. So it's just been surreal being around him on different things. And it was cool being at that last scene where he's paying respects to Earnhardt because it was just like got my heartstrings going a little bit. I don't I don't know. It's just you can have this rivalry with someone. But when you look back on it, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of this person. Talk about heartstrings going from racing to baseball. Another one of your films practically had me in tears. Now, I don't know much about baseball, but your film, 100,000 Cameras, Cardinals versus Cubs. What a great movie. And especially for someone who doesn't follow the sport like myself, I was absolutely sucked in. And I got a glimpse of what makes these fans so absolutely rabid for their team. And to me, it really opened up a full display of what that sport and its fan base is all about. Not to give anything away, there was a section in that film about a fan who had received a heart transplant from a donor whose family was on the opposing side. What a tearjerker that was. How do you find this stuff in a film, man? Do you go in knowing that there are going to be these wonderful surprises there? No, you have to try to find them. You really have to dig. You almost do like investigative reporting, essentially. And I do think my journalism degree really helped me, but those films are crazy turnarounds. We do those really quick. We have like a week and we knock the whole thing out. We also did the all-star one too, but it's just the 100,000 camera brand that we do with Fox. We actually do that through NASCAR Productions, but there's about five of us that are editing the whole thing and we're just cranking through because a lot of it's social media based, but you're just digging. Luckily, you work with the team. So that one in particular, we asked like the Cubs and like, you know of anyone, do you know of anything? Look up local news stories, like keywords on Google, like touching story Cardinals. My friend Jeff actually cut that part and I did not know about that part yet because I was working on a totally different part of that story at the time. I cried. Like I, I was kind of hiding behind. I mean, I don't really get emotional visibly much, but I know that scene you're talking about. And I just was like, oh my gosh. And I knew we were doing it, but I didn't see the footage yet when it came in because we had all talked about, oh, we have this. This could be really cool. When I actually saw that on the screen, it was just like, oh man, it was sound designed and everything. So it was, it was, I got the full emotions coming. You hit that one out of the park to use a predictable cliche. That was a big team effort. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. 
Welcome to Life Done Better. Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co. Media, media for your mind. Welcome back to Cars That Matter. So I have to ask, John, how did you end up as a filmmaker? Where did it all uh, start? As a kid, I always messed around with cameras a lot. And I was always doing different things like home videos with my brother and my sister, my neighbors, you name it. We would watch a show and we'd be like, oh, we can kind of make a semi version of Star Wars or something. So we kind of do it in our basement, fun stuff like that. But I was a huge NASCAR fan growing up and I always liked watching races and I had all these model cars. So I used to do little stop motion videos and I'd make tracks and I'd do them at my house and I was eight or 10 years old. So it wasn't super weird for that age, but I was doing it with just a home video camera, started making different stories. And that's how I got started. I just started making little stop motion videos at my house. I had an uncle who was pretty big into film. He went to film school at Columbia College. And I think some of his filmmaking rubbed off on me a little bit. I grew up in Iowa, so not a whole lot of film going on out in Iowa. I always wanted to get into movie making, wanted to get into filmmaking, documentaries and all that stuff. But I just didn't really think it was attainable from where I was from. And with my background, I had no connections. I wanted to get into that or I wanted to get into racing somehow because I love NASCAR. So I wanted to find a way to get into that either filmmaking or racing. If you fast forward, it's kind of cool that it ended up being a little bit of both. When I was looking at colleges, I was like, well, what's the closest thing I can get to that? And it was news. So I started studying journalism and broadcast journalism. The college I went to is a small private college in Waverly, Iowa called Wartburg College. They had a really good journalism and news program and they had a TV station at the school. So I studied that and it was an instant attraction to me. So I did go there. And then I had an internship at a local news station and that was really a great internship but I ended up learning there that I really don't think I want to do news. So I kind of had a panic attack because I was going into my senior year (laughs) and I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? Luckily, I had some professors who were really encouraging. And since it was a smaller school, it was like that really hands-on experience of professors knowing everything about you. They knew I kind of wanted to get into that kind of thing because I was really keen on editing. I was really into lighting. I was really into filming. And they're like, we have all this equipment. Why don't you just start doing it? And luckily, my senior year too, they started doing more heavy on production. We didn't have a film department within our communications department, but it was just starting, if you will. So we started doing more short films. And my brother went to college with me too. The same guy I used to make home videos with as a kid. We started just making videos. Some were total flops. I'm honestly almost so embarrassed to show anyone. I keep those stored away just because I was just swinging and missing all the time. We ended up having like a big calm arts day. We bring in outside people to come in and you present these projects to people who are actually in the field. And I had to do a documentary that was assigned to me and it was really good hands-on experience. We had to budget the whole thing. It was kind of like how I do documentaries today. You got to make sure you're getting everything cleared from a legal standpoint, everything like that. So it was good hands-on experience. But when we did that, we had outside personnel come in and then they would actually give us our grade and judge us. One of the individuals that came in was a manager at a company. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with this place, but it's called Menards. It's a home improvement store in the Midwest. It's really big in like 13 states. But if you're not in those 13 states and you say Menards to someone, they're like, huh? (laughs) What are you talking about? They were there and they had actually gone to the school as well. They were running the video department 
And his wife also ran the photography department at Menards for their commercials and their advertising. And they were keen on what I had done. And they had approached my professors and said, hey, we're looking for someone to come in and be a producer on some of these advertisements. And they threw my name in there and they're like, oh yeah, I, we really liked his documentary. So then I applied. I even had a PR job offered to me maybe like a week or two before that. Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah, and I know. I know. And I almost took it because I had interned there too. I mean, I'm telling you, I was so close to just accepting that because it was a good paying job. The job at Menards was a lot less pay, but it was what I wanted to do. So I ended up going that route and I started making just commercials. It was kind of like a graduate program almost for me. I was there for two years. John, when did NASCAR enter the picture? One of the positives about Menards is they sponsor race car drivers. Me being a huge race fan, the first thing I wanted to do when I was there was I want to figure out how to do these racing ads. I need to figure out how to do these. I love racing. I love NASCAR. So they sponsored an ARCA driver, a truck series driver, and then a cup series driver in the NASCAR divisions. And I was like, I got to do this. The first one I did was with the ARCA driver, Frank Kimmel, and that was really fun. But then I ended up doing one with Paul Menard, who's related to the Menards family, but it was so cool. And it aired during like the Daytona 500. And I think this was back in either 2013 or 2014. It was just to me like mind blowing because I was like, oh my gosh, I just did. You made it. This is so cool. I was like 22, 23. I thought if this is the highlight, I'm fine. That's great. One of the perks about NASCAR, since they sponsor NASCAR drivers, we got to go to the NASCAR races if we wanted to for free, essentially. You get a garage pass and you have to pay your way to get there. But anytime they came to the Midwest, I was going to the race. And my girlfriend would come with me, who's now my wife. We went to Chicagoland Speedway. The first time I went, I noticed that the president of NASCAR at the time, Mike Helton, was always just kind of hanging around the garage area. He's just talking to fans. And I was like, oh my gosh, next time I come to one of these things, I need to give him my resume or something like that. I need to just go out on a limb because I want to get to NASCAR somehow. I do film. They got to have some type of video production program there. I know so much about racing, this would be a perfect fit, but I don't know anyone. So I was like, that's the only way it's gonna work. I mean, I had even applied to NASCAR like online and nothing worked. And you know, it's just kind of just gets buried in a pile of resumes. The next time I was going to the race at Chicago, I had a whole resume I wrote up. I wrote a cover letter specifically to Mike Helton and I had a DVD with my work on there. That was, it wasn't great, but it was good enough, I thought. So I was like, I'm just gonna give it to him. We'll see what happens. The worst thing that happens is he laughs at me or he says no, or we don't do that kind of thing. But I just figured why not? So I went to the went to Chicago land. We were there early, saw Mike Helton, he's walking around. He was on his way to the driver's meeting. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go talk to him. And I had this moment of what am I doing? I'm not going to do it. So I stopped. And luckily, my girlfriend who's my wife now. She kind of caught me in my tracks as I was regretting moving toward him. She's like, what are you doing? Go, go, go talk to him. You did this whole thing. Just go do it. What do you have to lose? Fine. So I was super nervous. I went up to him. I said his name. I was like, Mr. Helton. And I don't remember what I said, but I talked to him for like a minute. I summarized everything that I did, that I was a huge race fan, that I wanted to work in racing, that I do video production. I do Menards commercials and the racing ads. I want to work at NASCAR. Here's my resume. Here's my DVD. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy. Here you go. See you later. My adrenaline's even getting going right now thinking about it because it was just such a crazy moment in 
my life. You're telling the story like your films tell a story. I can't wait to hear what happened. I went and watched the race after that, and I couldn't even focus on the race. And I go home, don't hear anything, maybe like three weeks passes. And finally, I get a message from the HR department at NASCAR. And they're like, Mr. Helton read your resume, passed it on to us. They want to do an interview with you in our NASCAR.com digital department. And I totally freaked out. One thing kind of led to another, and then I was at NASCAR. Luckily, NASCAR offered programs to learn After Effects and take editing courses, special effect courses, and then even like advanced special effects courses. And it was all free. And I started getting really good at it. So I started making these features that incorporated all of them. The great thing about doing digital is they let you do kind of whatever you want to some regard. And I would just kind of try stuff out. It got the attention of some of the people over in NASCAR Productions. And then they recruited me to go over there. So I went over there and I actually was a part of the live events team for the races. Well, kind of starting to do some film stuff. And then it transitioned into just filmmaking. And I started just doing documentaries, documentaries, documentaries. And now I do a lot of the documentaries for NASCAR specifically for their film company. And then I do films for myself or for other film companies as well now. John, that is quite a road and quite a trajectory, but one that obviously came about because of your drive and your diligence. Not unlike getting behind the wheel of a race car, you were definitely at the head of the pack in your filmmaking endeavors. John, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. A moment of your time. A new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being it's questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcocom slash a moment of your time. We're back with John Householder. You've got such an incredible resume for such a young guy. What do you want to work on in the future? I want to keep going. Like you said, I do a lot of competition stuff. I love doing competition because I am a competitive person. I played sports my whole life. It's something that's really a part of me, but I also really like human stuff. Anything that brings out emotion in people. So I'm always looking for that stuff. I have a couple projects right now that we're kind of in pre-pro for that we can't really announce yet, but it's really a lot to do with that. It's getting into the human stuff on different topics. Topics. I'm doing some investigative actually documentaries coming up soon. When I first got into this industry, I was like, I want to have a set plan of what I want to do. Like initially, I was like, I want to just do narratives. I want to do totally open creative. It's funny how it's evolved. I wouldn't mind doing narratives, but what I'm finding is there's this rise of documentaries. As I've said, you're a young guy, but what advice would you give an aspiring filmmaker? Try to get as good at what you want to do. If you want to be a camera person, make sure you become the best director of photography you can. Study it live it, breathe it, learn it as much as you can. For me, I always wanted to direct. So I kind of learned a little bit of everything, but I also have a very heavy editing side to my background. So even to this day, at least once a week, I'm watching tutorials on how to do new things. I'm learning about the new things that After Effects is coming out with, that Cinema 4D is coming out with, all this stuff. You just always have to be adjusting because it's always changing. Never settle, always move forward and don't get frustrated because it is frustrating sometimes. If you love it and you truly love it, 
you're going to push yourself to go harder. And there's going to be frustrating days, but you just got to keep in mind, I love this. I'm going to keep working at it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I'm going to try my best. And if I try my best, I gave my best effort. And that's all you can do. Where can people see your films? Right now, I have a film on Motor Trend. It's actually a series. It's called NASCAR Under Pressure. You can watch it on the Motor Trend app. It'll be out on the Discovery Channel, I think in a few months as well, if you want to wait till then. But if you want to watch it without commercials or anything, download the Motor Trend app, watch NASCAR Under Pressure. I also did a series for them called NASCAR All In, which is essentially season one of this. But that's a really cool behind the scenes side of racing. We follow drivers and you kind of learn their story and just a fun one. So it's one to check out. A lot of my stuff is rerun on Fox Sports 1 right now. You can check out some of my short films are on YouTube. I have one called This Racing Life that I really, really would recommend checking out. Not just because I made it, but because the individual story is extremely inspirational. And check out Best in Class. Best in Class. Definitely check Best in Class out because that just came out. It's on Amazon Prime. You can buy or rent it. I certainly recommend any and all of the above. This wouldn't be Cars That Matter, though, if we didn't talk about some of your own personal car interests. What's in the garage or what would you like to put in the garage? If I could have any car, I would have the 64 Ferrari Lusso. So that was in best uh, in class. Yes, the 250 GT Lusso. What a car. That's actually been a dream car of mine for a really long time. And I think it's because I have a racing background and it has a cool sound to it. Nothing sounds like a Ferrari V12, except maybe a Lamborghini V12, but we won't get in an argument there. That's Cubs versus Cardinals, man. I was always a big muscle car guy. 68 Camaro. Those are cool. But when I got to my 20s, I started liking classic cars. I don't know why, but I really like 30s Bugattis just because you're seeing where cars started taking a turn because you had those goofy cars that people were riding down the street going like 15 miles an hour and then the Bugatti came out and I love how the engine opens up from the side. It's hard to beat some of that beautiful coach belt stuff from the 30s. One car I do have that I don't drive, I just have it. It's basically essentially like a Pinto, but for me, it means a lot. And this is kind of why I took the approach with best in class. Cars mean something to people. When I was like 13, I'm going through puberty. It's a weird time. Just psychologically changing. I struggled with depression at a really young age and all that stuff. I remember my dad picking up on that and just like, okay, like we need to do something about this, like help him out. And he needed a new car at the time. And he's like, I'm going to get a new car, but we're going to get it in a different state and we're going to drive home in it. We're going to do this, this long road trip and it's just going to be you and I. So we went to actually to California to LA. It's almost kind of embarrassing to say, but he got a Scion XB 2004. Remember those? It's never going to be a classic car, but it means a lot to me because we got it. It was new. It was it was bizarre. It was really cheap, but we drove it across the country. And for me, psychologically, as like a 13 year old, who's really insecure about life and all that stuff, just having that moment with your dad is just like, I can't put words to it. And the car was literally the vehicle for that experience. My dad was going to get rid of it three or four years ago. No, you can't do that. This thing's too important. It's an artifact to your history that's just irreplaceable. It's irreplaceable. So I bought it from him and I brought it back here and I've been like restoring it and it's something he and I have and like it it looks almost it looks like new I don't know anyone else who's restoring a Scion XB but I am because it means a lot to me it's a car I would have no interest in I would make fun of the car if I didn't go on that road trip it means a lot more than a car to me Thanks to John Householder, Director of Best in Class, The Making of a Concord Elegance, for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive.
This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross. Thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.